0: Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan
1: how we all doing on this wednesday afternoon we've got actually a significant amount of sporting news to kick off the program and guys i guess let's start with the breaking news of the day the boys on writer's block got into it a little bit but uh, we can jump into it a little bit more this coming down in the last hour or so but the canadian football league has issued a statement today uh, regarding their situation for restarting a season how the remainder of a 2020 season Season might look so on and so forth uh, i'll read you some highlights of it as we welcome you to the program it's pat steinberg peter labardius and primetime peter klein along with you logan gordon is at the sports that 960 basement systems downtown studio here's the statement from the cfl quote We have learned three things about running a league in a pandemic. Certainty is hard to come by. Scenarios are plentiful, and public safety is paramount. So while we keep our focus on safety, we want to keep our fans informed as the number of possible scenarios narrow and decisions are made. It now appears the earliest the CFL might return to play for a shortened but meaningful season is this September. Of course, a final decision on whether that will indeed happen will depend on what governments tell us is safe for our players and fans. But barring some huge Huge development. It now seems clear we can rule out playing games this summer. There are several reasons, including the continuing restrictions on assemblies, travel, and border crossings. Notably, several provinces and municipalities have already decided to prohibit until September 1st all sporting events featuring large gatherings. The pandemic has had a dra- drastic effect on travel, tourism, and the economy. It has become increasingly clear we will not be able to host a traditional Grey Cup and Grey Cup festival, certainly not with the size and scope that has become customary. With that in mind and in agreement with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, we have made the decision to change our Grey Cup plan. The riders have been awarded the 2022 Grey Cup. And if we return to play this year, the host of the 2020 Grey Cup game will be determined by a win-and-host model. The team that qualifies for the Grey Cup and has a superior regular season record to its opponent will end up hosting the Grey Cup game. Those are just a couple of the highlights from the cfl's uh release today also no touchdown atlantic as you would expect but i guess the highlights gentlemen would be that uh earliest start to the cfl season would be in september and no traditional gray cup this year it will not be held in saskatchewan unless the riders uh were the team that would end up hosting the game and were playing in it um I, i can't imagine that either of us or any of us are all that surprised by this news but uh Mr. Klein, you go first. Uh, Just your thoughts on what we heard from the uh, CFL about an hour ago today.
0: Yeah, I think it's not the most surprising of news, right? I think if you were following along with the events that that have been going on, this was probably inevitable anyway. So the the CFL making it official today, uh, we were talking a bit off air before we came on, and it's, I think, a little noteworthy that there's no – uh mention whatsoever about if there will be fans of these games or not and what uh, apparently hub cities have been discussed uh, randy Ambrosie on a call with uh, a number of people over the last hour as you said um th- there there's still a lot to be discussed and when you're talking about the canadian football league it's a little different than as i know we're going to get into a little bit later on they can't just go to disney world and put things on mm-hmm. in orlando it's you're you're limited in where you can go uh finances are a major thing we've talked about it a lot with the cfl they're different from the other leagues who are getting most of their revenue now from tv money this is still a very gate-driven league in the cfl and if you can't have fans of these games how much sense does it make to take on the risks of coming back so they they make the the obvious decision today i'm i'm still very concerned about the health of the league to be perfectly honest. But Hopefully they can get this thing back on course. And if you're playing games in September, that's a, a pretty big step for a lot of people, I think.
1: Well, I like I like the fact that we can have this conversation with, with the three of us, Lou, because the three of us are all pretty passionate CFL fans and, and uh, have have all at one point been pretty darn invested in this league. And, and I think all three of us want to see this league survive. We don't know what the status is when it comes to government assistance from the CFL, but... I, the, the news, to me, wasn't overly surprising, but at the same time, it's, it's the first news we've heard that suggests that they are looking at a resumption of a season and, at the very least, have that on the table. I don't know what's going to play out. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, let alone what September's going to bring, but, you know, I... I... I'm with Klein. I, am I worried about the health of the CFL? 100% I am. Um, but I also, I also think that there is a world after this pandemic where the CFL still very much exists. I'm curious as to what your reaction was today.
2: Well, I think it's a multi-layered situation. I've been worried about the state of the Canadian Football League at different times for a long time and still very concerned that as far as its biggest markets, things have really dropped off in Vancouver and British Columbia, and I'm not sure there is a fantastic solution for the area that I'm currently in right now, and that's with the Toronto Argos. So let's not kid anybody, um, led by the likes of the Stampeders and the Eskimos, and maybe especially the Saskatchewan mm-hmm. Rough Riders, we know where the lifeblood of the Canadian Football League exists. Um, do I see some changes? Absolutely. And what makes these CFL guys really unique is that there are different ownership structures everywhere you go. There are also situations with brand new stadiums, relatively speaking, in both Regina and even in Winnipeg, that the question begs somebody still has to pay for it and you need people in them and you need events depending on, you know, the relationship that they have with those respective cities. So, you know, it's, it's an odd setup and Mr. Klein talked about it. The one thing that you can never forget where the CFL is concerned is it is, you know, they have a decent television contract to be sure with the other guys, meaning TSN, However, it is still not hundred percent, but not that far away from a very gate-driven league. So people in the seats matter a whole heck of a lot. I commend them in the sense that at least they've taken a step um, with all the facts and figures that you know we read, certainly in Saskatchewan, certainly in Alberta, you, know, things are improving. And they're improving all the time. And um, it gives time for borders to open because we know the amount of American-based players that, you know, toil their trade in the CFL. Um, Like you guys, I'm a little concerned, but I would have to know even more about the finances, especially when you're talking about, you know, the ownership groups in BC and David Braley and what he has done in so many different places. You know Bob Young and Hamilton, the situation in Toronto. Um, this one's not an easy one, guys, to tie together.
1: no, no, no. and you know it's it's a it's it's a it's a situation where like I I personally believe if the CFL were to get some money from the Canadian government, I don't have a problem with that. I know others do. I know that is, you know, especially a couple of weeks ago when the story first broke, that was a bit of a contentious topic. But I believe that um, there is there is absolutely an argument to be made for the CFL getting government assistance if, if they continue to go down the proper roads. And, and I know that the first step on that road was not received overly positively but i i I think that they will at some point get some assistance from the from the government and i think that that's you know much like other businesses are getting assistance i i don't think that's a huge problem if the cfl does but it doesn't change the fact that they are of of the five leagues that we cover in a big big way because obviously there's the four major north american professional sports league and then up here Uh and, and in calgary the cfl is especially in the summertime a big thing that we cover as well it's probably one of the five leagues that we cover in a big way so of the five they're the ones that are most in danger of having an entire season wiped out. I don't think Major League Baseball is going to have an entire season wiped out. I believe the NFL is going to play their entire season. I've got next to no doubts about that. And I'm fairly positive that the NHL and the NBA are going to come back as well. But, Lou, I I don't have... I don't have anywhere near the confidence level that I have in any of those four other leagues about the CFL even playing a game this year because, as we just talked about, the the scenario is so different than the other four
2: leagues in question here. But if they don't, that to me doesn't mean that the CFL is done. The CFL would have to come back. It may look very different. But I'm still very hopeful that even if it was on hiatus for one year, that they could find their way. And as we've talked about, certainly on the shows that I've been on with you guys and have just thoroughly enjoyed the discussions, um, you know, the CFL isn't unlike almost every league that there is period. And that's the understanding that the way you've been going about your business up until this point is going to change and that this time is going to become very, very important. It's also going to become very, very important, you know, for people that aren't in community ownership scenarios as to what they're willing to do. And frankly, the financial hit, if they aren't going to play, and there's going to be a massive financial hit, even if they do, you know, what kind of an effect that is going to have. So that to me is the uniqueness, but uh, I want to be positive. I'm going to remain positive. Do I think if the CFL didn't play in the year 2020 that it's going to look different? Yeah, I do think it may look different and considerably different to a certain point, but I also think that it has enough tradition. It has enough importance and it speaks to you know some great areas including the city of calgary uh that i don't think it's going to go by the wayside i just think it could look very different and in some ways i wouldn't be opposed to it
0: no i i think some changes need to be made regardless of if they're coming back in september or june or or next year or whenever um, the the fact that Randy Ambrosi brought up when chatting with the federal government that the Canadian Football League lost between ten and twenty million dollars between their teams last year—that's very concerning. And I mean, no pandemic to slow them down last year, right? And when you look at Winnipeg announcing they made three point five million dollars, you can already in Pen at least put Saskatchewan in for a couple million dollars you start to do the math and it's okay. Well, there are some teams in a lot of trouble then that's, that that is a major, major concern. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what comes out of this, I am with Lou. I I don't, I don't think the CFL is just going to, to completely fold. Um, I I think there's a non-zero chance of that happening, but I think there will be something called the CFL when all of this is back to normal. I do think some things need to be changed And if having to take a full year off to reassess and get those changes implemented is the way to go, then maybe it's several steps backward to take several steps forward. And from a CFL perspective, that's kind of how you have to view it at this point.
1: I'm with you. And I, i'm I would say that I'm less than fifty percent if I'm being honest that the CFL plays games this year. I don't think it's impossible. I hope that they do. I hope that they are able to come back and have some sort of finish to the season, but I, I can understand why that might not happen, But uh, we shall wait and see, and I'm with you both. i don't I don't think them not playing is a complete and utter death blow to the league. But I also think some government assistance could go a long, long way in keeping the health of the league higher and putting them in a better spot to be able to return and resume for 2021 okay we are underway on pinder and steinberg on this wednesday afternoon a a bit of a dreary and gloomy wednesday in the city of calgary but nonetheless we've got lots to talk about on the program uh ray edwards assistant coach and director of player development for the calgary flames coming up in about 15 minutes time looking forward to chatting with ray all things hockey and uh, lou as we know uh a guy that is extremely enjoyable to talk hockey with uh as well jeff snyder from elevate lacrosse and uh, just after four o'clock we will redraft the 2008 nhl draft some real interesting conversations, I think, that are going to come out of that just after 4 p.m. It was a really good draft, and yeah. uh, especially if you were a defenseman. I Even better than I <laughs> thought going through it today when it comes to defensemen coming out of the 2008 NHL draft. We're live on Sportsnet 960, the fan, online at sportsnet.ca slash 960 on your Radio Player Canada app on your phone. You can get us on your smart speaker at home. And uh, now new and improved, and uh, for your viewers Viewing pleasure as well uh come by on instagram live uh, at steinberg 1984 if you want to come uh, watch the show or portions of the show it's very technologically advanced uh mm-hmm. we're also on uh, instagram my hair is live. worth nothing else your hair looks outstanding today i will say <laughs> oh mine does
2: not thank goodness you can't <laughs> see it <laughs> you want to uh, talk about a guy who needs a cut
1: kleiner looks peak 1960s Hamburg, Germany era Beatles right now. Paul McCartney he has got that channeled right now. So uh, you can uh, you can come take a look at that on Instagram Live. Steinberg 1984 if you are so inclined. Um there is some news today from the nba as well as a report from the athletic shams at the athletic has news that orlando has emerged as the clear front runner for them to resume their season and sure does sound like orlando florida is going to be where a bulk of if not all of the remaining nba games are going to be played which probably when you think about it opens up las vegas for the nhl if they want to go down that road um but i i guess I'm not surprised. The NBA has been working on this a lot behind the scenes, Kleiner. This is something that uh, they have been, you know, they, they, they've done some player polls. We haven't heard a ton of news leaked, but we've known that for the last number of months they've been working hard on some sort of restart plan. And Disney World in Orlando looks like the place now. So I'm curious what that looks like from an NBA standpoint, and I'm curious mm-hmm. what that means for Vegas in the NHL and, and potentially Vegas hosting games as one of uh, hockey's hub cities i i uh that that was again any news right now that speaks towards sports coming back pretty exciting for me so uh i was pretty hopped up when i uh, read that nba news waking up this morning
0: yeah and it, it does feel like there's been a lot of positive momentum lately and now it's becoming a bit more serious when we're starting to hammer out locations and stuff like that and for the NBA, Orlando makes a ton of sense for a number of different reasons. Uh, Walt Disney World out there—they have the setup that they've done a number of different basketball things before. You have a spot where, if you need to, you can run multiple games at a, uh, at the same time or have practices going on while there are games happening there as well. So it, it's a it's a pretty good spot. You you have all the hotel accommodations you could possibly want. So for the NBA, it makes sense. And if you're looking at it from an NHL perspective, I think it makes Vegas a lock at this point um the ufc announcing today that their event next weekend is going to be in vegas so nevada is starting to open things up and from a hotel standpoint tough to get better than than lost nowhere nowhere is a set. better fit right right yeah and if the the nhl i know we've talked about different setups of, of four six two hub cities if you needed to just do one Vegas could do it. You could basically house a team on each floor of a hotel and just have uh, a direct line to the rink and do it that way. So Vegas, I think opens up a number of different options for the NHL and the NBA not going to Vegas, uh, I think opens the door for the NHL wide open. And I think, uh, I think it makes Vegas almost a lock for the NHL at this point.
2: The only thing about Vegas is I wonder about the amount of ice surfaces because Mm. T-Mobile does not have an adjacent practice arena like many others do now Summerlin is not very far away and has a couple of services where the Vegas Golden Knights have a spectacular practice facility Um, especially Peter if you're talking about not just 12 but 24 so I wonder just from a strict surface standpoint for people to be able to practice and you know you can only play so many games a day if you're using one main surface but maybe they'd be okay to you know play games at the practice facility potentially as well as far as the NBA is concerned Orlando makes an absolute boatload of sense. Uh, You think about, you know, the basketball arena and they play college tournaments there each and every year and you're not very far away from the home of the Magic and other potential places to play. And, And the other thing I would suggest too, guys, two things about basketball starting up. The rosters, well, we know this, they're not as big. So now you don't have as many people to worry about and maintaining hockey ice, very, very different than maintaining a floor, not to say that they don't require people to clean them. And, but you know, it's not what happens to an ice surface potentially in Vegas in August, in terms of the wear and tear, if you're playing and one would have to think you would be, potentially three games a day.
1: That's that's essentially what, what Gary Bettman has said, is that wherever we go, we're going to be having to host multiple games a day. So, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what we're talking about, is is having a an ice surface that's going to need a ton of maintenance and a building that can keep up with that. And it's a good point about – and it's why – Look, I know that Chris Johnston broke it down for us yesterday very succinctly and saying why just doing it in the United States would make a ton of sense because you're only dealing with one federal government as opposed to two federal governments. And for something that is already extremely complicated and rife with a ton of hurdles and nuances and and minutiae, To to be dealing with one federal government as opposed to all that times two is is probably a good thing for the league. And yet, it's still, having been there multiple times, having seen the setup, I still can't get past Edmonton. I still can't get past how that situation with a practice rink and an NHL facility... And an NHL quality hotel connected right to it, where you don't have to go outside even once. Everything is right there for you. I just everything about it makes sense. And and you know who agrees with me? Seemingly, who's who's making my case for me? How about how about our premier? Here was Jason Kenny yesterday. Uh, he's he's as passionate about his uh, about Edmonton hosting playoff games as anybody. Here is Premier Jason
3: Kenny. We continue to work very closely with the Edmonton Oilers franchise on refining Alberta's proposal. We're very uh, keen on attracting the NHL uh, playoffs for the uh, the summer uh, tr- uh, shortened season here. And I think we've got uh, a tremendous uh, a pitch to make. It, first of all, in terms of the uh, Alberta being a star performer in North America on the public health response to the pandemic, particularly here in Edmonton, uh, where uh, the... Um, number of active cases I think we're down to 50 active cases in this population of uh, greater Edmonton of 1.2 million people and if not I think uh, a handful of people in hospital um, without with hundreds of acute care beds that have been set aside for COVID patients together with the highest per capita testing uh, in North America if not the world I think we we are the safest place they could find in the continent uh, to come and uh, and uh, in a very thoughtful and careful way uh, finish off the season with the playoffs. Uh, We've got one of the best facilities, I would say the best facility, with the brand new Rogers Place uh, Arena. Um, It is attached to a brand new hotel. All of the services are right there, can be uh, safely integrated in a. in a protected zone uh, that uh, would keep the players and staff uh, insulated, and uh, and so uh, we've got a very very strong pitch I think to make, um, and I look forward to taking uh, uh, to speaking again with with Commissioner Bettman hopefully later this week about all of that. Um, so really I mean and, and but at the end of the day you know, the the beating heart of hockey and the NHL is the Canadian Prairies can't imagine a better place to come to uh, than uh, the home of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, than this province that has done so much uh, for the sport of hockey and for the NHL uh, for decades. It just makes so much sense. And uh, so we'll be making a, a, a significant pitch. And I think it would be great for Alberta if we, we can do this safely, working with the NHL to make sure that all the uh, safety protocols are met. Uh, It would be great for this province. You know, we're going to need to uh, kickstart our uh, tourism industry uh, as we come out of the pandemic. And I can't imagine a better way than than tens of millions of people seeing uh, the NHL playoffs uh, coming out of Edmonton, Alberta.
1: So that's Premier Jason Kenney yesterday. Lou how's that for a, a pitch for Edmonton? <laughs> it's a good the, pitch. It's the leader of the province. Um, he's pretty dialed in and invested on the NHL coming here. I just look, I, again, I get it. I understand why two countries opposed to one probably makes things significantly easier from a uh, NHL logistics standpoint, but I, everything everything else logistically, Edmonton makes a ton of sense. You've been there many times. I mean, it just everything about it seems like it would it would work
2: and make sense. Pat, it completely makes sense to me. Health wise, you're set up as well as you could. Uh, They have incredible facility with the attached hotel. You don't even have to go outside. And that also means you have access to one of the true highlights of that building for me. Forget about the main surface, which is the adjacent practice rink, all the dressing rooms. You're not very far in terms of other accessible arenas that I'm sure would obviously be made available in the Edmonton area for practice times and and teams to be able to bus and be very safe. Uh, To be frank, I think it makes an absolute ton of sense. And, you know, if the one hotel isn't enough, well, you don't have to go very far again, walking distance, to a couple of other pretty major hotels that teams have stayed in prior to the one that is open across the pedway and the main building. So mm-hmm. it's true. I, I frankly think it's, it's a fantastic setup and would work there incredibly well. You know, now the selling point for everybody is what are you willing to do logistically to make it happen? And, and, I cannot believe that there would not be a way for the governments and the hockey people to agree and be able to use two different countries. I still think that one in terms of everything at the right time, the border isn't going to be closed guys forever. It just, it's just not, there's too many reasons to believe um And and let's not kid anybody, if you really want to play and you really want to be safe, does our country potentially not have its you-know-what together a little better than what's going on south of the border? Or am I missing something?
1: I don't think he's missing anything, Kleiner.
0: No, no, I I think he's pretty spot-on in that. And certainly, if if you're going to have it in Canada, Edmonton is, uh, again, like I said with Vegas, Edmonton's a lock, Um, and the only way it's not going to happen is if there can't be an agreement whether it's because of a a two-week quarantine or or anything like that but no i would i would definitely agree that um if i had to pick between the two countries right now i'm I'm sitting in the one that i would rather be in uh in terms of how this whole situation has been handled and it's not just edmonton who have suggested that they could host this vancouver the the premier of BC said the whole province could put them team out in Kootenai and Kelowda and everything like they, they wanted the, the whole province to host the NHL um, I don't know how realistic all that would be but uh, we know Ontario has also said that they would be open to having teams uh, in Toronto so you could do the whole thing in Canada if it all came to it everyone would have to sit out for a couple of weeks once they got here but that's really the only hold up I see in
1: bringing things here north of the border shall wait and see but that was uh, quite the impassioned plea from premier jason kenney about it yesterday uh whether we get news this week or, or early next week we don't know at this point but uh, momentum continues to build for an nhl announcement okay we're underway on pinder and steinberg up next he is an assistant coach with the calgary flames and also director of player development What does a dual title mean in a pandemic for ray edwards of the calgary flames we'll find out next here on pinder and steinberg sportsnet nine 60 the fan welcome back to a wednesday edition of the program happy to welcome in our next guest on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline we say hello to calgary flames assistant coach and director of player development ray edwards ray you're on with pat steinberg and peter labardius how are you sir what's going on
4: hey guys i'm well good to talk to both you guys hope you both are doing well as well
1: yeah i think we're yeah we're, we're well hanging in there as best we can <laughs> at this point what uh what has uh pandemic life been for ray edwards tell us about the last two months in your life my friend
4: well i think every outside chore that is available to me has been completed so <laughs> just to get out of the house and uh, give my family some time to be away from me probably is the best thing and so yeah, we're the weather's starting to get better here as I think it is there as well. So that's been nice and uh just being able to get outside and get moving around's been good.
1: So where have you been? Where has uh where has Self Isolation Central been?
4: I got back to Maine, uh so when when we the mor the morning that uh we found out the Thursday morning before we were supposed to play the Islanders, um you know, they put us in sort of a self-quarantine there for three or four days. And then, thankfully, I was able to get back before they closed the, the borders and and uh, everything sort of escalated. So I was able to get back with my family, which was real good. As you guys know, I'd been away from them for about three and a half, four months. So it was good to see them. But obviously now we're getting into month three, and it would be nice to get back playing some hockey. Well, uh-
1: Tell us about life in Maine. Like it's uh, from a population standpoint, uh, nowhere near as dense as, as other areas in the United States. What's uh, what is pandemic life like in Maine? How how different is it than what you're used to?
4: Um, they they started release or sort of opening things up a little bit about two weeks ago, and I say that it's it's still pretty minimal in terms of you know you know the essential places like lowe's home depot most of the most of the like i've i've got a knee thing going so i had to go get that looked at so they opened that up um you know for the most part people are wearing masks everywhere it is you know portland proper is is a around 60 70 000, but it is a pretty rural state we don't have a, a ton of cases or our hospitals are in good shape and um so we're not obviously not like new york or you know some of the bigger hubs but you know i think they're doing they're trying to do their best job they can and everyone's uh adhering to the guidelines and just hoping that we can open up uh, when it's safe safe to go no doubt. Um, I, I'm
1: I'm curious as to from a from a work standpoint, from a hockey standpoint, how busy you've been keeping because you wear two hats with the organization now—an assistant coach on Jeff Ward's staff—and you remain the director of player development with the team. So uh, I, we've talked to different coaches throughout this, and and they've kept busy. And and I know you guys are are you know being in contact on a fairly regular basis, and you've got projects and stuff like that. But you've also got the Development role. So, how busy have you been from a work standpoint over the last couple of months?
4: Well, we've been obviously doing a lot of Zoom calls in different areas with different sides of the organization. From a coaching standpoint, we're on weekly calls with uh, the coaching staff and Brad uh, in terms of updates and preparation as to what things might look like and our role and getting ready for you know any sort of uh, back return to play situation you know, Jeff's been keeping us in the loop in terms of uh, what he wants. And so that's been fun. It's been good to get on those calls. And obviously we've had a few with the players as well, which has been good to see their faces. And so from that standpoint, it's it's definitely two or three times a week we're on those types of calls. And then from a the development side, uh, for the most part, Brad Pascal, uh who's one of our assistant GMs, he's been sort of heading it up in, in lieu of me sort of doing doing the other he's been sort of taking the reins and obviously okay. Ronnie and Brian and some of the other guys have been taking lead on on development plans and making sure players know what their um their role is and what they need to be doing and you know our strength and conditioning staff has been in contact with all of them every one of them now has a plan moving forward which is obviously a lot different looking this year than it might have been last year but uh, we've been in touch with every player all the new guys that we've signed all have plans and uh, Ronnie's done a good job of of reaching out to those guys. And, you know, it has to be a little bit different, uh, you know, this year in terms of, you know, whether it's zoom calls and video work over the, over iPads and those types of things versus actually getting them, you know, into Calgary and, and uh, you know, everything's there's a lot of things still up in the air in terms of development camp and, you know, training and some of the things that we like to do. So, it is a little bit different but uh, i'm very blessed that uh, obviously brad pascal and the rest of the staff uh have been able to take take the brunt of the work and and lead the way and we're very confident that every player is going to have everything they need in terms of uh continuing to get better and the one thing we've stressed everybody is that uh, we can't use this as a crutch in terms of uh giving them every avenue to succeed we've got to find ways to to make sure they get the information and we have to find ways you know new and, and fun ways to push them and to and to uh let them compete with each other uh, in different different ways and RBA and his staff are really good at that type of stuff they have an app that they use in terms of sending workouts and um you know obviously our guys are in touch with them on a regular basis so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, obviously we'll get back to work and a little bit back to normal sooner than later. But in, in lieu of that, we we feel like we've got a pretty good plan for these guys to continue on with what they need to be doing.
1: Well, I know that from a coaching standpoint, um like you guys have been working on all kinds of different eventualities if if at this point if you were to get hit with news in the next week or something like that about what's going to happen and and any of the different roads that could go down how prepared will this group be for if when that happens
4: 100 percent prepared jeff's been unbelievable brad obviously keeps us in the loop like i said we have two or three calls a week just for that exact reason so this is what the latest is uh this is how we need to prepare for that Uh, the players are aware what's going on so there's a million different contingency plans and we've done video enough video you know to be prepared for whatever situation might come our way we've prepared for training camp type scenarios uh, return to play scenarios so hey Jeff's as good as it comes when it comes to detail and having guys prepared and we'll be ready to go.
1: We're in conversation with Ray Edwards, Calgary flames, assistant coach and director of player development this afternoon, Mr. Labardius,
2: Mr. Edwards, I uh, hope you are. How all. are you, sir? I, hope, I, I am excellent. Um, and hope that chores. And I know that for some of us who are away from our families for long lengths of time during the season, that I'm sure you have enjoyed that part of it. Um, when I've thought about you several times since this has all happened, I've wanted to ask you basically this question. You were you were part of an unbelievable change in the middle of the season, in a season that isn't even over, but one I think for those of us who are around on a day-to-day basis will never forget forever. And And I just wonder what yeah. you've thought of in regards to, you know, Changing roles middle of the year, coming in, going back to you know coaching again, which you did you were you were coaching in the East Coast League, and you weren't even done playing, so you did that for twenty <laughs> years before you got away, so maybe you of anybody I've been wondering you know what you've thought about when you've had some time to just reflect a little bit
4: well, as you guys know, it was quite a whirlwind. Uh, when I came back into Calgary and, and you know, joined the staff. That that happened fast and I had to hit the ground running and the staff was unbelievable in terms of helping me get my feet on the ground and and um it it took some time but I felt like we you know we you know I got I got sort of acclimated and and you know we got into a bit of a rhythm. So it again it's just the the weirdest thing. Like you're sitting there Thursday morning Ready to play New York. Uh, ready to have a power play meeting, and all the coaches are ready and prepared. And all of a sudden, it's just over. And so it it you know you come home and you're like you're you're just in it every day for four months, and then all of a sudden it's done. And so it's that part of it was tough. Like you if you sit, you're sitting in and hoping home, and you find yourself wondering like what the heck am I going to do with my time? And and now as we start to get a little bit of hope that that things are going to get back going. It really gets you excited. I mean, I don't know what I'll do next year guys in terms of coaching or development or what it is, whatever, whatever may come my way, but I do want to finish this thing and do the best we can. And if I never coach, uh, you know, another game, I want to give everything we, I have to help this team go as far as we can. So I'm very motivated to get back
2: and do whatever I have to do to, Help this team have success ray how much did you enjoy the few months that you were back coaching again and you know we've had a few talks that even though you've done it the majority of your life that doing it this way at this level it was different wasn't it
4: it sure was i mean i was a head coach for a lot of my time coaching so it's a way different role um And, you know, specifically, you know, being in charge of the power play, you really micromanage that area. So you're really digging into that area and you're spending a lot of time doing that. And so preparing for the next game, the biggest thing for me, Lou, was just you're always you always have to be ready for the next game. So, you know, you do a power play meeting for your game that night and then you're already working on the next game or pre-scouting two games ahead so you you just have to be always ahead of it, and that was the one thing that you know I I, I noticed was a, a lot different than the American League, where a lot of times in the American League you have three four days to prepare, you know, for your weekend. Sometimes you have more, and so you you the timing is uh, you have way more time to prepare and and practice and um, get on the ice and work on specific things. That that's the other thing that I really found interesting was the lack of practice time. And you really have to be efficient uh, with your ice time, and you know when you're when you're able to work on stuff, you've you've got to make sure that uh, you look at the schedule and you you manage it correctly. And that's where, you know, I you know the strength and conditioning group, the sports science group with Kent and RVA and their staffs, they do a great job of preparing us in terms of okay, on this day you have this much time and this is what they need. And, and so it's uh you know it was just really detailed and uh I really enjoyed it it it's uh, it's a great group that whole group in that in that room is fun to work with they they obviously uh when i when I had to come in there, I knew a lot of them and and uh, I've worked with a lot of them for four or five years through the development arm but they were great and uh it's it was it was a lot of fun now. I just hope we can kind of finish finish what
2: we started right I know you take so much pride and it had to be a massive change to go from all those years of coaching and like you talked about to now be knee deep into player development and I can't imagine how proud you and Ron Sutter and the organization must be because I don't think people realize I always liken it this way as important as it is in this day and age to draft good people I think developing them is right there if not even higher and when you think about you know Dustin Wolf and all the players that you have seen start at development camps and then now play in the NHL in a regular way or playing games you must you must feel very proud about what you've seen during your time in that role as well
4: well for sure Lou I mean we're we're obviously proud of all the guys that have Uh, come through and found their way to play, whether it's in the American league or uh, in the NHL. Uh, I think um, our staff uh, from day one is, you know, Ronnie's been with with me from day one and it's done an amazing job. We've added so many different layers to the development team and with Brian and now Darren, the skills department and Don Braid. And I mean, our strength and conditioning group, our American league coaches have a big role in that and they should get a ton of credit um, you know they have to go through there for the most part uh, before they they play in Calgary. So, you know whether that that was Orion and his group, but he was there, or now Kale and his staff. I mean they've done an excellent job, but it is rewarding to see it. I mean it's rewarding too when when uh, you know we have development camps and we've had a couple of players now. The you know uh, Mackie and and uh, Johannes uh, Kinval. Uh, came to development camps and had such great experiences at those camps that somewhere down the road we were able to continue uh, the relationship and our our scouts have done such a good job of continuing that relationship and watching and you know now we've got two of those guys signed and a big part of that was coming to development camp and meeting everybody and going through that process so uh, it takes a it takes the village to do this this job and there's a lot of people that have a hand in it so but it is important, as you said, Lou, it's uh, the way things are, are going with the NHL. You have, to, you have to draft and you have to develop, and it's certainly not perfect, but uh, I think we can continue to get better in a lot of other areas, and we'll continue to look at those areas and try to improve every day. Um, but uh, we certainly are proud of the guys that have come through the system
2: right as a longtime hockey person and we've talked about your long history both as a player and as a coach and player development how different is it today in 2020 dealing with the athlete than maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago or is there much of a difference for you
4: no there certainly is it's uh the communication piece i think is the biggest part it's you know, when I played, I you mean, know, I hardly talked to my coaches. I mean, and the only time you talk to your coach usually was when you're in trouble or you're getting sat out or you're, you know, losing time or whatever it was. Now the communication is daily, and it, it 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 was when I first got into the player development. I mean, coaching, you're there every day, so you see them and you you're able to get that one-on-one interaction. But in player development, you're not always there, so you have to do a lot of stuff via text deal phone calls, you know, uh, Skype, those types of things. And I really found with the player development that texting was the preferable way to communicate, which for me wasn't, I had to kind of get used to that. And I, I found it hard to do that initially, you know, to have meaningful conversations through text. I just never really had done that six years ago, five years ago. So I had to kind of get used to that and realize that players just like to communicate that way now. So that was uh, that was kind of a big thing for me, just learning to do that and and just be able to communicate more. You know, uh, you know when you're not close to them and you can't, you know, see them and touch them, you gotta you gotta find other ways to do it. And the other part of that piece is just the, the actual, you know, being able to send drills and and you know get them to watch their shifts and be able to communicate what's going on and what needs to be worked on, what needs to be addressed. But do that from afar versus being there every day and being able to uh, work with them personally every day. So that was a that was a, a fairly big adjustment. But again, when you have good people, and you have people that want to work and want to put the time in. They and they want to get better and they want to be innovative. Uh, it makes it a lot easier, and that's that's a big piece of what we do. And I think that's every every NHL team is is finding that you've you've got to be ahead of it. You got to be. Are willing to do those things and go the extra mile to uh, get the best out of your prospects.
2: Mr. Steinberg?
1: We're in conversation with Calgary Flames assistant coach Ray Edwards, also the team's director of player development. It's it's funny, Ray, because we we had um, we had some interesting conversations with you on our post game show when you'd come in and join us in our uh, in our hot stove lounge. I studio. got all we, the
4: bad games. I I got the the, the thrashing by Edmonton, and there's I got back to back interviews, and they both are thrashings at home. Was, I, I hope. Fun. I,
2: I hope there's some longer straws in Maine that you can bring back because you drew a lot of short ones, my friend.
4: Oh boy! Wow, and I'm good sure on the guys, you. The guys are just. Well, yeah, I think that's the. I was the rookie on the group, right? So I was the. Uh, I was low man on the totem pole, so I got those ones you uh
1: you did a good job there were there were times when you you could tell by looking at you that you would rather do anything but answer the question that was just asked to you
4: but you
2: still answered i remember i remember
4: the one night the one night we got pounded and the power play was absolutely awful (laughs) I was just dreading going back there, but you guys were good. You didn't kill me too bad, and thank God we didn't have uh, any Collins because I would have got murdered.
1: <laughs> no, we wouldn't. We promise we would never do that to you. I promise. <laughs> on the on on the bright side, though, like, and I know we don't know what's going to happen and how or when the NHL is is going to come back, but on the bright side your team was really starting to trend in the right direction prior to the pause. Uh, the last game that you played was a loss to Vegas, uh, which was a really hard fought and close game. But prior to that, you were on a nice little run there. How did you like the way the team was playing before things shut down for a little bit?
4: Well, as you guys know, uh, you're correct. I thought, I thought uh, we were really trending in the right way. Uh, you know, we had, we had gone on that, that massive road trip where we you know, we, we had a heck of a road trip uh beating, you know, Boston in Boston, playing Tampa really closely. The heck of a game in Nashville we lost in the last second, but but uh it was again a playoff type atmosphere. Big big win to finish the road trip in Florida where it was really a you know, one of those games where you you got to come out of there and, and find a way to win that game, and we did. Came back and didn't play great against Columbus, but found a way to won, win that game. Again, get another playoff type game against Vegas. So we we felt like, even though the game, some of the games that we didn't win, we were playing the right way and playing the way we we thought that we had the, you know, to, to play to, to have success. And we felt like if we can continue to play that way we're going to, you know, win more games and get more points than not. So, and I know from our standpoint in the power play, we were really clicking. I think we were in the last 10 games we were running about 40%. Um, so that, that was nice. And as you guys know, when the power play is clicking and the guys have confidence there, it, it, it drives your five on five offense as well. So we were feeling good. No question. It was tough to tough to break at that time, but, You know, we'll have time to get prepared again and get the group feeling good and have plenty of opportunity to to work on things and get us us back up to speed. Well, Lou
1: asked you about being part of uh, a real unprecedented coaching change early in the season. And that's only one of a, a few crazy things that have happened this season. Oh. You throw in a worldwide pandemic and a shutdown of a Ugh. season. You had a big-time scare with a player. Uh, like, it's it's been you, – you've had just on the ice some crazy ups and some crazy downs. Like it is it, it has been a year chock full of adversity and twists and turns for your group. Is that – do you get the sense that coaching staff, players, everybody involved, do you get the sense that that's something that they can take and and build on and use to be better going forward here?
4: Well, I think our group is a close group. And I know uh, we've heard that about this team before, but certainly going through everything that they've gone through this year and, and uh, you know, the way Jeff has rallied and, and, and brought this group together and, and, the the mindset that they've had in terms of okay you know we can we can sort of deal with anything now um that's that's the way they've 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 sort of rolled forward and i think i think we know that our team is capable of really good things it's just a matter of when we'll be able to get the group back together and get working on it again but you know just having our zoom calls with them they're you know, they the, the first and foremost uh, in everybody's mind is safety and health of everybody. And but as long as, as we can, we're guaranteed that, you know, we can do that and we can do it the right way. Everyone's really excited about the opportunity to to do this and get back and, and sort of finish what we started.
1: That's uh, that's I'm, I'm you know, you talk about the excitement of potentially coming back and and all the things that are going on right now but what about what about from a personal standpoint you know we don't know exactly what this is going to look like but are you personally prepared for whatever the the differences might be the things that might not be ideal or that you're used to that would go along with a return to play this season is that something that that you've been able to you know come to grips with and get your head around stuff like that
4: yeah, again, I think I think just we've been prepared. Uh, again, Brad and, and our staff, whether it's Kent and his group or Dr. Ald or our equipment or our um, strength and conditioning group, I mean, we've we've sort of gone through every scenario, what what it may look like, what things we're going to have to do that's different, and 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 I think you know that's the one thing we have time right now to do that stuff. So I think we'll we'll all be prepared personally whatever whatever we have to do we got to do and that's just my mindset mm-hmm. it's it's sort of how I've always been like if something needs to be done has to be done we'll do it and we'll and we'll find a way so um i'm ex- you know i i'm a little different cuz i was brought in later and it wasn't really my role but now that i'm in it i'm more motivated than than uh than not to finish sort of this job you know we went in there and you know was uh was away from my family for a while and so it's 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 exciting to me to sort of get in there and finish this thing and then see see where we go from there
1: well ray we really appreciate the time this afternoon and we sure do hope that we see you back on the ice and see the guys back on the ice sooner rather than later it's it's been a long time it's been a bizarre two months uh but it, it's it's good to hear that there sounds like there's some momentum coming for us. Uh, maybe a restart. Appreciate the time this afternoon. It's uh, it's good
4: to catch up with you, Ray. Guys, real good talking to you. Hope to see you soon. Be
2: well. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. And I hope in about uh, less than a month's the time that your family and uh, friends look after you. I hear you might have uh, some kind of birthday coming up.
4: Oh, I I knew you would forget that. <laughs>
2: Oh boy. Half century, Lou. Half century. I
4: know.
0: I know.
2: <laughs> I, know. I know. I apologize. <laughs> oh, that's good. Thanks,
0: guys. Great to see talk, you, Ray. Ray. It's
1: Ray yeah, Edwards calgary flames assistant coach and the director of player development good chat we could have gone on for a whole lot longer he still owes us uh some stories on brad Tree living uh because their playing days go back decades um to when they were playing in the uh, the central hockey league uh so uh I've, i hear that uh, ray edwards has got some great brad Tree living stories but that's for another day but we ray has
2: incredible stories patty period going back to his days with the Owen sound grays and Sudbury. And I will tell you this, not that I saw a lot of it because I was in the prairies at the time, but um, while he's such a kind, caring, personable, fun person to deal with back in his playing days. Uh, I don't know if uh, you would have ever wanted to tackle with him. There he, was uh, one he was season a tough customer.
1: One season playing in the ECHL um, with the Huntington Blizzard, three hundred and thirty penalty mm-hmm. minutes in sixty-five games. Uh, he had two hundred and one in uh, one of his last OHL years with the Owen Sound Platers. Uh, like this, this guy, and and he's oh, ta- yeah. he's talked about it. He's like, yeah, I uh, I had some doozies. I uh, I was a bit of a uh, I was a bit oh. of a bleep disturber in my day. Yeah, oh 300 and th- and, and you, know, you can d- just looking at him you can tell that was a guy that you did not want to tangle with back in the nope. day. Nope,
2: <laughs> Nope. Not the, one bit. He
1: had the one year that was like Bob Probert like 20 goals, 30 points in 65 games and 330 penalty minutes. Like that's that's some old school Bob Probert
2: type numbers. It's good work if you can get it.
1: Always always you know I w- like I was never quite as dialed in on hockey when probert was in his prime but had a couple 40 point seasons to go along with a couple 300 penalty Mm -hmm. minutes you don't see that very often
2: no you you do not
1: score 20 and also get 250 penalty minutes it's pretty impressive uh thanks to ray edwards uh, calgary flames assistant coach and the director of player development we'll take a break uh come back with a whole lot more including some well some, some good news yesterday when it comes to the Canadian Hockey League and some bad news over the weekend. We'll touch on both as we continue on a Wednesday edition of Pinder and Steinberg. we got Peter Klein, Peter Labardius, and my name is Pat Steinberg along with you. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back once again on a Wednesday afternoon. It's Pat Steinberg, Peter Labardius, Peter Klein along with you as we continue on the show today. Uh, we did get some, we did get some news over the weekend that wanted to make sure that we touched on especially because we got lou here and uh this is so much in his wheelhouse it's crazy and and we had some good news from the chl yesterday from a calgary flame standpoint uh seventh round pick dustin wolf named the whl goalie of the year yesterday we'll touch on that in just a second but over the weekend lou uh, a six-year court battle finally came to an end between the canadian hockey league and a group of plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit Essentially, what was agreed upon was a thirty million dollar payout uh, before October 2020. A thirty million dollar settlement from the CHL to a group of uh, different plaintiffs, all based on. And, and you know, my my legalese ain't great, but uh, essentially, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Lou. But essentially, the suit was about. Um, compensating players for minimum wage for playing on teams and and there was a dispute as to whether or not that should be the case or that shouldn't be the case the 30 million dollar settlement was announced over the weekend i i didn't like it the it, it gave it, it did not, when I think about it, even when I talk about it, it just, it, it doesn't sit well with me, but knowing how near and dear the Canadian Hockey League is and junior hockey in this country is to your heart, uh, I know that you weren't ready to talk about it on Friday, uh, but I, here, here we are today, I know you are, so uh, I just wanted to, to get your feel on it and get your take on it.
2: Well, this could last for a few minutes, but I'm I'm pretty angry about the whole situation and I'm biased Um, junior hockey has paved the way for some of the greatest relationships some of the greatest times and frankly I've met some of the most incredible people that I've ever been associated with in my time in junior hockey and you're right junior hockey for me isn't just a game it's it's more like family and when I see the amount of money that has gone on in regards of that lawsuit and the lawyers and everybody that was involved, Pat, here's what I'm getting really sick and tired of. Okay. Minimum wage is fine and I don't have all the stats and I'm not going to sit here today on this radio station and tell you that there aren't situations that have arisen over the course of junior hockey where people maybe didn't get treated the way they would have liked but i know far more people and situations whether it's the incredible experience of playing junior hockey the relationships the billet families do do you do you think it costs nothing to leave the house at 16 years old and, and and play for minimum wage? No, it doesn't. Would a lot of parents be okay to allow that to happen without the great billet families and everything and the equipment costs and the expenses and everything that goes hand in hand? Okay, I understand as well as anybody that are there some teams in the league that make a lot of money? Well, guess what? There's organizations and businesses everywhere. But what I'm getting really sick and tired of is we're all looking all the time for how to criticize and what is wrong. Well, today, I want to talk about what is right and some of the players' testimonials. The players that I've been dealing with for over 30 years and the path and the life, not just hockey but away from hockey and the growth in the education program and what it has allowed you to do and those bus rides and how to be a good teammate. And what we're also missing in this day and age, and I'm sick and tired of it is the fact that we're always looking now for what somebody can do for us. How about the kind of experience that junior hockey can give somebody? And the path, and the struggle, and the competition, and the teammates, and the growing. I'm angry. And I'm not going to apologize, and I'm going to piss people off. And I don't care. I really don't care. I think that amount of money in that lawsuit is garbage. Does everybody get treated well? Maybe not. But the majority do and some of the greatest players in the NHL, you wanna ask them about some of their favorite times and where they started and where they were, they were in junior hockey. It's a great development league. Junior hockey has given so much to so many kids and not just because of hockey, because of the people, because of their schedule, because of what it demands. So for some of the people that I've read and good for you and your lawsuit and who should get what and who shouldn't, well, good on you. Good on you. $30 million and a six-year lawsuit. Nothing is perfect. But I'm sick and tired of hearing all the time about what junior hockey isn't. And until the day that I leave the earth, I'm going to focus on what it is and it's been great to me and it's been a great way for me meeting and a lot of kids to have some of the greatest greatest experiences of their lifetime
1: well said my friend um it it did not uh, it didn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me, and uh, I don't think that I, I could have said it any better. So uh, well said, Mister Labardius, And and uh, the the good news, I guess, is that there are now there are now things in place to protect from future lawsuits and, and things of that nature. But it doesn't change the fact that you know th- this is a significant hit to a lot of the teams. And and yes, it um, is. It really is. There are there are some teams that will be able to handle it, and there are some that this is going to hurt a whole lot more than others. So I, I didn't like it. You know, if you want to have a conversation about other things that w- we have seen lawsuits in professional sports be levied at, I think there are some worthy and, and interesting conversations to have. This one just seemed uh, really out of place. So... Uh, I, I didn't. I did not like hearing that news on Friday, and and so I didn't know. I, I thought that you know there there wasn't a better guy to get an opinion on than Peter Lubardius. So uh, I'm I'm glad that you could uh, get that off your chest, Lou, and I, I'm well, I, happy that you were able to do so.
2: I appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: Let me uh, let me change the conversation and still connected to the Canadian Hockey League, um, but on a more positive note, and that is the fact that we played a little bit of the interview that we had with Dustin Wolf yesterday, Calgary Flames seventh round pick in 2019, coming off an absolutely bonkers season in the Western Hockey League with the Effort Silver Tips. He won't be able to finish it, as we know, but 34-10 and two was his record, 9.35 save percentage, nine shutouts. He's now seven shutouts away from setting a new record in terms of shutouts in a uh in a career in the uh, western hockey league Klein, this guy is turned into a pretty high-end prospect for this flames team i know that from goalie standpoints he is not the biggest of players but you don't put numbers up like that in the western hockey league or in any junior league without having a ridiculous amount of god-given talent i know Uh that he went in the seventh round and and i know that goalies are absolute voodoo in trying to predict and trying to figure out what happens down the road but boy does this guy look like a promising prospect in the flames organization
0: yeah, and we, we have been fooled before and many mistakes have been made by just looking at junior stats and thinking that's automatically going to translate. But at a certain point, you you just can't ignore it. And Wolf's numbers have definitely reached that point. And it, it's for a lot of people, and I, I would include myself in that I haven't done uh, many deep dives on his play, but you just you you talk to people around the organization who who follow prospects closely. This is a guy who is moving up the uh, the depth chart for Flames prospects and for Flames goalies pretty quickly. And, and uh, I I think this is someone who's going to be knocking on the door for the Flames in, in a few years at a position that they've been desperate to find this type of a player at for a long time. We thought the Flames had it a couple of times, um, but this one certainly has a bit of a different feel to it than others have in the past.
1: Lou, it's uh, the, the guy that he took over for it, Everett, pretty good. One of the best junior seasons <laughs> in in the history of goaltending uh, in Carter Hart. Now, uh, now a member of the you Philadelphia the one, Flyers.
2: You, you mean the 1.60 and 947 save percentage and seven shutouts in his Just... final year of junior hockey?
1: just didn't really feel like over an entire season didn't really feel like allowing goals that was kind of the year that (laughs) Carter Hart had
2: I looked it up yesterday because I knew it was ridiculous and we referred to it in a in a 10 game stretch he allowed 12 goals
1: jeez nine games 12 goals
2: yeah And like, that's, that's hard like, to do a, in
1: major junior so, hockey.
2: So when I said to you yesterday that I remember that stretch kind of leading up to the World Junior camp, um, and then he went on and led our fine country to the gold medal in Buffalo. That yeah, there was just there was that stretch where I wouldn't forget it. You mentioned Patty it was like every week he was the WHL goalie or player of the week or both, and that one stretch was just like is he ever going to let in a goal and talking about Dustin Wolf, his, his career save percentage. And he has a 19 year old season, you know, to come when we get started again and hopefully we'll get started again. And, you know, he'll almost certainly be in the United States starting goaltender at the world junior. Hopefully that will be played and it's going to be played right in our province. And, both Edmonton and not far down the road in Red Deer. Um, yeah, he's he's ahead of Carter Hart right now in terms of overall hmm. save percentage. So he has had an incredible career. And when you consider that he's just over six feet tall, um, I'll never forget the conversation I had just prior to the start of last season with Flames goaltending coach Jordan Sigalad, and he just raved to me in regards to he thought that this was one of the most intelligent hockey IQ goaltending prospects that he had ever been around in terms of just his technical game, his ability to read the game. Um, you know, he's incredibly competitive, he's athletic. 7th round pick. That looks like it might be a pretty good 7th round pick. The crazy thing is though you guys goalies are hard. Yep. Yep. And you just you just never know.
1: The uh I know yeah. the may, maybe the one thing more above all else that the Flames love about Dustin Wolf is the competitive level. Uh, Brad living on one of his conference calls yes. in the last few weeks just talked about his elite co- competitive level and um and and i think that you can um you can absolutely see that in the way he plays He's a battler and and a lot of people compare him to uc saros which i think is a is a really good comparable to uh just in terms of the height and stuff like that saros has turned into a pretty solid nhl yeah. goalie. so if that's the way it went
2: for wolf is a seventh round pick i they'd take it um okay well the well, the, in, the interesting thing and i'll just close it off this way pat so you know they had a great Great prospect, and who knows what happens with Tyler Parsons. The difference between those two guys kind of in the same wheelhouse is Dustin Wolf is really athletic, but he doesn't rely as much as a Tyler Parsons does or did on his athleticism, which actually might make the transition to pro hockey easier for Dustin.
1: We, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how it all plays out with Dustin Wolf because that looks like a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive prospect for the Calgary Flames right now. The Western Hockey League goaltender of the year, Jeff Snyder's our guest around the corner as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg, and at the top of the hour, the 2008 NHL draft uh, in the spotlight as we continue our series of redrafts. It's Lubo, Klein, Steinberg, Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, well,
0: rough time for Steinberg to get some uh, technical issues. Peter Klein back with you on Pinner and Steinberg, waiting for Steinberg's connection to uh, get back up and running. Uh, Very pleased to be joined by Jeff Snyder now. Snyder, how's it going today, man?
5: You know what? For the first run of my intro, I don't feel like there's technical issues. I think Pat just blew it. (laughs)
0: Like his his mind was just blown. It's like, you know what? I don't think we can get better than that intro. I, I think we just have to just call it here. And that's it, because I mean really I, I can't top that intro that's yeah that's some some hey, solid work for sure.
5: It sounded like a little shred of, of professional animosity, maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure if he just wanted me to to come in and steal the thunder like that, but this just seems awfully <laughs> timely for the first time that we were going to roll that out.
0: Yeah, no kidding, hey like it just it, it, it can't be just a coincidence right like it just it just can't be
5: well, knowing Pat and uh, I feel like you know the pandemic's getting to him. That's uh you know it sounds about right i i just I, I cannot i i just can't see this being some sort of coincidence it just doesn't it, it just doesn't make sense uh
0: well how uh, how's pandemic life treating you? I know we've had you on every week during this, but uh it's it's kind of dark and dreary out today how how you feeling
5: well I'm not on the golf course i let I let the Lowry brothers do their thing today um but uh but I'm hanging in there. you know it's uh this has been uh it's been enlightening i think it's um, you know we're uh we're all you know figuring our way it sounds like um you know i I'd, I'd, I'd like to think alberta and, and calgary are you know doing their jobs and hoping that um you know some of these uh uh local businesses get to open up soon and and um you know if there's one positive thing about this i think it's just everybody's had to you know really dig in and and uh you know start being a little bit more creative with respect to how they're you know they're they're managing you know just their day-to-day i think uh you know, people are going to come out of this. I think, you know, you walk around the city and you see a lot of people and you say hello. And and it's just I, I think it's uh, it's opened up a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people's eyes with respect to, you know, what's kind of on our plate and, and the luxuries that were afforded on a day to day basis. And, you know, when something uh, like this goes down, it's just been, um, you know, I think collectively for everybody, you know, athletes all the way to professionals all the way to, you know, whatever you know, whatever walk of life you are. I think it's been just a very unique situation and we're, uh, you know, we're all battling through it together.
0: Yeah. I, I have noticed just going out on, on walks and stuff like that. A lot more people, uh, just smiling when you walk by, you know, like there's kind of a, a bit more of a almost camaraderie out there right now.
5: Yeah. I think, you know, just people are, you know, you, you haven't seen somebody in, in quite some time and you, you know, you cruise down the street and you just, you pass by and you say hello. And, you know, I'm sure that it's, uh, it's juxtaposed by, you know, a lot of, a lot of tempers out there too and and people just being frustrated about the situation. But I think at large, um, you know, just being Canadian, being Albertan, being Calgarian, I think that, um, you know, again, I I keep going back to you know how much adversity this city seems to face and continually overcome. Um, You know, this is nothing for us. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to to grind and, and, you know, continue to to be the, you know, the the community and the people that we are collectively. And and I think just it's showing on the, on the day to day and, and, um, you know, w- with respect to what's going on just in the community at large, uh, it's very palpable when you, when you walk around and, and you say hello and you see people doing their things and they're engaged and, and, uh, you know, saying hello right back to you.
1: Hi Snides. I've, I figured out my technical issues. How are you, buddy? Oh,
5: Hey Pat. Very convenient. <sighs> yeah. Uh,
1: did you enjoy your, uh, did you enjoy your big voice intro again?
5: Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Did you not hear what went down and just think that you did that on purpose?
1: That no, I didn't. I, I like I legitimately dropped out as we were coming into the segment, and it happens about once every three or four weeks. This thing drops out, and when it does, it takes forever to boot it back up. So, and how
5: coincidentally it was during my big moment.
1: I don't think it was a coincidence. I think that uh, I think that nobody wants uh, wants us to talk to each other. They're trying to keep us apart, and I won't let it oh. happen.
5: Okay, well then that's fair. I'll take that. Moving on, I get it. What do we got? <laughs>
1: um, I, you know, I what's what's really been interesting throughout this this whole two plus month shutdown of of pro sports has been all the different ways that we've heard things are, are going to restart, and you know, the biggest one now is is the idea of these isolated hub cities and and having players under lock and key and and playing. Kind of in your bubble and staying in your bubble, and that's it. Put yourself in that situation, Snides. How how difficult would that be? Um, how much of a mental toll would that take on you? And how much of a mental toll do you think that'll take on a lot of the players involved here? Uh,
5: you know, I think it depends on the timeline, right? Like it, it, you'd probably compare it. I think the, the biggest thing you could really compare it to is is really a world championship setting. You know, I've done this um, with Team Canada now four times, and and you know you're you're largely sequestered for the entire time when you are um when you're out in in these uh you know these these sort of tournament format events you know depending on how long this goes you know the longest i've really spent kind of with the team in sort of a sequestered manner is really you know call it a month um so it'd be interesting to see how long they kind of plan to do this because i i can tell you you know, you, the, the, the closest team will absolutely win this thing. If, if it gets to that point, because, you know, you got to go through a process of sort of storming, forming, norming when you get into, you know, this, 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 um, you know, these sort of settings. And then, you know, by the end of it, you got to make sure you don't kill each other. Um, You know, you've got a lot of, a lot of type A, a lot of alpha personalities, you know, battling together collectively and, you know when you go out and, and you make a mistake and you know you're you're an athlete and you come back and you're with you know your team sort of in the hotel or or in the dorm or wherever about you are you don't, you, you it stays with you for quite some time it's not like you get some escape you're there in front of the guys and the level of accountability that sort of elevates itself in those environments is you know guys don't go out you're not allowed to go out um you know you're doing your meals together you're doing video you're doing um, you know, all of your coaching sessions, you're doing your team meetings and, and it's a lot. So I, I, you know, truly it'll, I think it'll bring out the best in competitive spirit out of, you know, out of the, the individuals that are going to participate in this. And secondly, I think the, the best team wins. You know, I see a lot of people, this whole asterisk beside it, like, give me a break. Like this would be a really unique time to do something very different to find out who's who's got it in them.
1: Well, and you've – and I'm with you on that one. And I also think that, you know, the idea of whether it's the NHL or Major League Baseball or NBA and all of them um, coming back, uh, yeah, it will be different, but it will also give uh, a lot of people – something to watch and something to be invested in and, and some sense of normalcy. And I think that'll go a long way. And and I think that we'll look back on the end of these seasons, or there's a chance we can look back on the end of these seasons with some real positive thoughts as a result. But you've, you've kind of been in a similar situation before you went to Israel, for instance, to take part in a world lacrosse championship. You went to Manchester, England to be in a uh, world lacrosse championship so you've you've been in the scenario where you're kind of isolated with the same group all the time, but that's for what, two, three weeks at a time? What's the longest that you've gone for?
5: Yeah, so a month really is is like when you take into practice and I imagine like when you know when you incorporate training camp and how long these guys want to do this for. Like I, I don't even know how long they're thinking. Um, but you know, for me personally it's about a month. By the time you get together and you do like a mini camp. And then you get on the road, and you're, you know, you're in, um, you're traveling, and then you get to, you know, your location, and then you're settling in, and you're doing your thing, and, and you're starting to prepare. Um, you know, it, it really is about a month. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see how that, you know, sort of unfolds. Um, it, it would be, it would be wild to see how the NHL would do that. Like, what a unique opportunity to be playing in the NHL right now.
1: Well, absolutely, and and it would be like, the amount that's going to go into it and the amount that we'll, you know, the, the, amount of logistics that'll have to be figured out are going to be massive but i do think they're going to do it the nba is looking at doing it in orlando florida the nhl is investigating a bunch of different spots i don't know what major league baseball is going to do um just a final thought on that so when you are like just take me through being isolated and, and take me through um how, how difficult that can be from a mental standpoint and what you do when things get to go crazy and stuff like that it's to uh, take us through that
5: it, you know, in respect to just like uh, in in respect to games, or respect to just the processors sort of socially
1: um the the social side of it more for me is is what's really interesting
5: well, it's it, it's awesome. like it's such a fun time. Um, you know, I think a unique thing about the Canadian team is, after we lost Chris Sanderson, um, you know, Chris uh, battled with us in 2010 and, and lost a fight to brain cancer, um, he was a big Tragically Hip fan. So, you know, every time the men's national team gets together in any competition, um, it's just Tragically Hip all the time. And, uh, you know, I think it weighs on some guys, but, uh, you know, we, we let the hip the, the hip blare. And, and ironically, you know, Gord Downey lost his the same battle to uh, – Uh, to brain cancer that Chris did. And so that's a big thing for the national team, a big cultural thing for our team, um, which I think, you know, is ultimately what, you know, you kind of play for is you get in there with the guys, you're having a great time. um, You know, you are, uh, you know, you're playing and and hanging out and, and you're getting to compete, but then, you know, you're spending a lot of time together off the field, which is genuinely, I think, you know, really, really great for, for what, you know, these teams can put together in a cultural setting. Now, some other teams maybe need, a little bit of steam to blow off i'm sure we're all watching um you know everybody's kind of watching uh uh you know the michael jordan documentary on netflix and and if you're not you should be um but you know just talking about dennis rodman needing like a little bit a little bit of a blow to burn some steam off and he came back better than ever so you know the biggest challenge is kind of wrangling that culture kind of from top to bottom you know getting something that works for the group and then having everybody adhere to that dynamic is is really tough um 2006 was very different from 2010. Was very different from 14. Was very different from 18. And you know, even though you're wearing the red and white, you still gotta, you know, you still gotta adjust your culture accordingly. And it becomes a challenge for the leadership group and the coaches and the executive and kind of everybody involved. So, um, you know, it's uh, it, that's the most interesting part is that every time you do this, it's super unique. And what'll be cool about, you know, whether it's the ML, MLB, the NBA, or the NHL is is what they you know, what they do and how the product looks, I think you're going to see some fierce competition. It'll be really raw and gritty. And, you know, I can imagine it getting a little ugly in the NHL and, and, you know, that's what we're all paying to watch. So you you want to see the fiercest competitors and, and uh, the best product you can. And I just think, you know, we're, we may never see anything like this ever again and and absolutely if it's safe and and good to go, then, then let her rip. I think, uh, you know, the world will certainly be watching.
1: Final thought. Just tell us about Elevate Lacrosse and uh, how things are surviving during a pandemic. I know you guys are shut down and on pause right now, but what's uh, what's happening right now?
5: Um, we are, you know, continuing to stay active in the community. Yeah, we got we got Coach Bob doing. Uh, he's got a thing called uh, called the Huddle. So he uh, Bobby kind of writes and puts some thoughts together, puts it out to the crew. We've got you know tips and stuff that we have going out every week for kids to stay engaged. And um, you know, we're looking at potentially you know once things move a little bit differently we've got some some things coming on board um you know in in you know, hoping to depending on what happens in the city and with we'll sport calgary and and you know with the other groups and what we're able to do We're you know we're chomping at the bit to get out there and and working in you know a socially distant responsible manner i think just more excited to really um you know to lead the charge uh from how to do this the right way i know that you know we'll uh we'll be under scrutiny and and i'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and we're just excited to you know, potentially get back out on the field and and see you know what these kids are made of and and um, you know put uh, put our practices to the test and, and make sure that we're best in class and and hopefully lead by example here in the city and um, you know as we as we all sort of traverse back into activity and and um, you know being responsible in the community. So um, there's lots of challenges, there's lots of things on deck, but we're we're really excited about it and, and feel very fortunate to be in the situation that we're in
1: elevate for the latest thank you snide sorry for the technical difficulties i uh i could blame my trash internet today but instead i'm going to blame myself I, i'm putting hey uh, I'm no more accountable uh, here.
5: you know no more world of warcraft for you i know you like that stuff so maybe just turn the games off even when you, when you fire back up you know
1: i was uh i was in the middle of a fortnight battle right before we started and then uh I <laughs> screwed everything up thanks Snide.
5: <laughs> right on brother we'll talk to you soon
1: jeff snyder uh he joins us on wednesdays on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline the bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times but they are open for business pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344 that's 248-3344 apologies for the uh, technical difficulties it it happens like klein the the technical issues don't happen all that often um i've been able to keep a connection for you know like uh, just weeks on end and then one day i don't know if it's my internet related or if it's the i don't know what it is but it just it drops and then it takes like six or seven minutes to restart again and all the while i'm just cursing at it uh but you know what i um i going to blame myself i I think that i should put this one all on me and and uh that's what accountability is klein
0: that's true it's true leadership and uh that's very big of you to do that um and i also will put all the blame on you too so uh you're welcome for helping you by putting uh, all the blame
1: on me that is true leadership shown on your part. Find somebody to blame <laughs> and put it on his... Sh- that's, that's a true right. leader for me.
0: Yeah, and um, you're welcome for picking up the ball after you dropped it there. So, yeah, full team effort. Thank
1: you. And you know what else? <laughs> Patting yourself on the back, also a sign of true leadership. I uh, Well, it's something you, I do often, so... You, you know. inspire me, Klein. You inspire me on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. We will take a break. Uh, This date in Flames history around the corner leading up to a very important this date in Flames history tomorrow, perhaps the most important of them all. I won't tell you why, but that's tomorrow. But this date in Flames history today is coming up next. Pender and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Have to think what would have been had the Flames been able to win Game Two of that series in 1986. Flames won Game One and had a two-nothing lead in Game Two before losing nine seconds into overtime in a 3-2 loss to the Habs. If they take a 2-0 series lead on that Habs team, you wonder, uh, you wonder what would have happened. Now, my recollection um, is better than Klein's because Klein was uh, not. In existence. Um, I was about a year and a half at the time, uh, so mm. my recollection ain't, ain't so strong. But Lou, what <laughs> uh, what do you remember of that 86 series between the Flames and the Habs?
2: Well, I mean, I remember lots about it, and I certainly remember how pivotal the goal was by a gentleman who spent a lot of time in Calgary, and that's Brian Scroodland who scored mm-hmm. that goal nine seconds in and then remember brian uh made a massive difference in 1990 what would have been 1996 helping the florida panthers to the stanley cup final before they were swept by the colorado avalanche so um you know i remember obviously some guy in goal was pretty good (laughs) which was really his coming out party a guy that wore number 33 Um, remember that and just just remembered how big that particular overtime goal was as far as determining that series and it was like the flames just they could never recover from that loss and they really never did
1: no they uh would lose four straight uh including that one before uh, ending up going out in five and then getting their revenge a few years later when they knocked off the Habs in 1989. But uh, you just you, you wonder, had, had the Flames been able to take game two of that series, how things would have been a little bit different in 1986. I won't tell you what it is, but if you're a Flames historian or a Flames fan, you might know the significance of tomorrow, but we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But a very important day in Calgary Flames history is May 25th. First, and we'll tell you why tomorrow on the program okay we are underway our number three of uh, our number two rather of pender and steinberg wrapping up uh on the program tonight or on the station tonight rather uh we've got in conversation at five o'clock in conversation with ron mcclain today featuring cassie campbell one of the greatest of all time. And NHL uh, NHL head coach, Winnipeg Jets head coach, Paul Maurice. Those are the two guests with Ron McClain tonight. So Cassie Campbell and Paul Maurice at 5 o'clock. And then immediately following that, we will continue uh, the series the Blue Jays had in August of 2015 with the LA Angels. That came immediately following in conversation with Ron McClain. We're live on Sportsnet 960, the fan. You can catch us online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Uh, on your mobile phone thanks to the radio player canada app you can get us on your smart speaker at home and uh, now new and improved for 2020 we have uh, got Instagram live going for you as well uh, it is our rudimentary attempt at radio on television you can hear the entire show you can watch the entire show on Instagram live um, the uh, you can go Steinberg 1984 is where we do uh, the IG live if you're interested in following along uh, primetime Klein fan 960 Lou uh, if you're interested in uh, saying hello to us on Instagram as well so many different ways to catch pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon when we come back another opportunity to redraft we touched a little bit on 2003 yesterday and revisited that with lou one of the one of the best drafts over the last 15 years 2008 especially if you were a defenseman it's going to blow your mind how many high quality blue liners came from the 08 draft but who should have gone number one next as we redraft 2008 on pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan
5: the superstars the bus the blockbuster trades
2: pinder and
1: steinberg revisit another nhl draft today it's steinberg klein and labardius looking back at the 2008 NHL draft which was held in our nation's capital Ottawa Ontario the Tampa Bay Lightning had the number 1 overall pick and they used it on a franchise player a guy that has been an absolute cornerstone for their turn into an elite franchise in the NHL over the last 7 7 8 years that would be Steven Stamkos who went number 1 overall in the 2008 NHL draft but this was a this was a year that was not for forwards gentlemen not to say there weren't good forwards taken because there were but this was an absolutely elite almost unprecedented year if you were a blue liner it just it's incredible the amount of high quality nhl careers that came from this draft on the blue line now before we go there Lou, you go first because this is in your wheelhouse. uh, You go way back with Steven Stamkos. He goes number one overall to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm not saying that he is bonafide, no questions asked, no argument. The number one guy, if you were to look back and and take what we know now and put it into the framework of this draft. But it's like Steven Stamkos still makes a pretty darn good case for himself to be the number one overall pick from that year, doesn't he?
2: Well, he most certainly does. And it was funny, Pat, because going into the top prospects game that year that was played in the city of Edmonton, there, there wasn't a ton of talk about anybody at that point in time other than Stephen being the case. But, you know, as I look at it right now, and you've got Stamkos at one, Doughty at two, Petrangelo at four. I mean really how can you go wrong with any of those guys and you know it was it was pretty fascinating for me because the first time I ever watched Steven Stamkos play was against Alex Petrangelo one guy was playing minor midget in markham and the other guy was playing minor midget for the Toronto canadiens and I watched them at the Whitby Silver Stick tournament, and it didn't take you very long to figure out that these guys were pretty good players. As a matter who of else fact, was, was on Patty that? You've, the, you've, you've, Patty, who else was Patty on that Patty team heard with me Talk about this a lot, but yeah, on the same on the same minor midget team was Stamkos, Cody Hodgson, who didn't play as much minor midget. He spent a lot more time that season playing at triple A rather than, you know, in for the 15 year olds and, and Michael Delzato. And when I watched those guys play, all those guys that I just mentioned at 15, Delzato was as good as Stamkos. And I would have had him a little ahead at that particular moment, even ahead of Petrangelo. I mean, that's how good. Wow. So imagine that guy's three guys in the top 20 of this draft on the same minor midget team
1: Jeez. well and all three of them in the talent. first
2: round of this draft yes, yes Coast I, yeah stamkos goes one but hodson
1: said. hodson and delzato and, and the
2: other guy 20
1: yeah like bonkers um yeah so here's here's the real question gentlemen because I think that when you take a look at, you know, most recent captain of the defending Stanley Cup champions, Petrangelo, two-time Stanley Cup winner and, and gold medalist, Drew Doughty, Steven Stamkos, who we talked about, multiple Norris Trophy winner, Eric Carlson, went in the first round of this draft as well. If you were to redraft it, who goes number one? I still go Stamkos. I still have Stamkos at number one because I, I put, a ton of uh, a ton of weight on being a center iceman and he is a franchise center iceman so i i i still go stamkos at one but boy is it close because Doughty and carlson and petrangelo like uh, that's that's tough yeah. to put them ahead of those guys klein what about you who would go number one if you were to redraft 08 yeah, the, this might have been
0: the the toughest one for number one that, that I've had since I, I've hopped into these redrafts, because the other ones, there have been some debate around four and five, but number one has been pretty clear for most of these. This one was tricky, but I, I also went Stamkos, just like you said, getting a, a franchise centerman um, it is tough to pass up. Not that you, you can just brush aside franchise defensemen, but Steven Stamkos, um, there was a stretch where he was like a top two or three player in the league, so... I, I I would go with Stephen Stamkos as
1: well, although it is very close. Lou, you are a, <laughs> uh, a big Stamkos guy. You're a big Doughty <laughs> guy. Like yeah, where where um, do you go on this
2: one? I you know what I I'm gonna whatever they talk about the fifth. I I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with the way it is. Uh, listen, um, incredible players. In the case of Stephen in particular, and I've said this many times, is as good a player as he is, he might be an even better person. He's really never changed from the first time I met him at 15. Um, you know, listen, it's, it's so hard. If you really held, you know, me to the fire and everybody knows after last week, how much I love fire. fire. Uh, I really love fire. Uh, thank you for telling that Japanese village story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if if I just remove everything it would be a little hard for me maybe not to give Drew just a slight slight edge. And I and I almost feel like I have to go to the bathroom after saying that um because I'm such a huge fan of of Steven. So yeah that I I'm okay with it. We can't change it anyway, thank goodness, but you know the the one thing about Drew and we've seen a lot of old hockey games being played, including right now on Sportsnet, they're replaying the 2016 World Cup, which both those guys were, you know, pretty key members of, which was nice for Steven because we all know what happened with the leg injury in Boston and he had to miss the Olympic Games in Sochi. So that was incredibly unfortunate for him. Um, But, you know, Remember, Drew Doughty at 20 years old was part of the 2010 Olympic team and played a very significant role. Um, so think about this. That draft is in that summer. You don't have to go very far in the calendar to all of a sudden he'd ascended to being one of the top seven defensemen in our country.
1: Well, a year and a half.
2: A year and a half. Yeah. So from, wow. you know, from the end of June to the middle of February, a year and a half later, he was playing, you know, for the best team on planet earth. That's, and, uh, and well,
1: pretty big part of it.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, and I mean, certainly was, I,
1: so I, I've got defensemen in to rounding out my top five from this draft. I've got Stamkos one, and then You've got to be it, like, going
2: Carlson 3.
1: I've got Doughty, Carlson, Petrangelo, Yossi as my next four. Um, and and I had trouble with Carlson, Doughty, but I gave Doughty the edge just because of the wins and the cups. And and so I, I went Doughty 2, Carlson 3, Petrangelo 4, Yossi 5 as as my top five but then you're missing out on like well, where's john carlson um there's a stanley Cup winner from uh, he's he's got to be right in there and you know you you maybe don't go uh you don't maybe don't have guys that are you know quite in that top five but guys when you take a look at the defensemen that came from 2008 and the careers that these guys have had and how long they have been impact NHLers like it's it's pretty incredible to think how how many good defensemen came from this draft and and Lou we're talking about up and down this draft not just round one into round two three four in in the case of Jared Spurgeon into
2: round six like
1: this this has been a really impressive class for blue liners
2: yeah and you know even some of the guys that aren't of the ilk of the people that we've talked about. Frankly, you know, Jake Gardner has been a pretty good defenseman for a long time, and he went at 17. Tyler Myers has been a pretty good defenseman, and he went 12. Uh, You're right. It is absolutely just loaded with excellent defensemen. Think about the Nashville Predators, though, who did such a great job over the years, so, you know, you think about 0-3 and they pick Klein at 43, and then Weber at 49, and you know, in this draft they get Yossi at 38. <laughs> Nobody's picking that guy anywhere near 38 if they nope. had to do it all over again. No, for me, like you, Patty, he's he's five. He he's he's the fifth overall pick in the, this draft. If you had to do it all over again, and I'm a massive fan of Roman Yossi. So, Klein, yeah, what
1: what jumps out at you here for you when you round out your top five?
0: Uh, I also went with uh, four other defensemen for my top five. Braden Holtby, I was trying to find a way to get him in, uh, a guy who can be a, a franchise goalie for a, a Stanley Cup winning team. I'll, I'll take that on my team a lot, but just – couldn't put him over the defenseman. Um, I, I went a bit different than, than you guys. I had Dowdy two, uh, and then I went Petrangelo three and Carlson four with uh, with Rossi round or with Yossi. Sorry, rounding out the uh, the the top five. I just look at, at Petrangelo so solid for so long, and the, the peak probably not as high as Eric Carlson, but as we saw in the most recent Stanley Cup final, still a guy who is playing at an elite level even now. So the the longevity of uh of alex petrangelo just kind of won out for me over uh, an eric carlson
2: so by the way i'm in the same place
1: and i only go carlson because at his peak like we're talking about a guy that you know what multiple norris trophies and a guy that uh you know single-handedly buoyed a team to a appearance in an eastern conference final a few years ago and really hasn't been the same ever since then um yeah but yeah i just i i, I think at his peak eric carlson was you know the the best of the bunch outside of Doughty. but i mean we're we're, we're splitting hairs really between petrangelo and and dowdy and like it's it's not we're not talking about we're, we're not talking about um huge debates like if if you're gonna tell me that you know you're gonna if you're gonna tell me that you have to take Petrangelo uh, ahead of Carlson I'm probably not gonna lose all that much sleep over the same way if it was the other way around I don't know if you'd be losing too much sleep over that's that's how stacked this was at the top Travis sorry Pete
2: Travis Hammonick not a bad pick at 53 either
0: No, No. like, and and there are those all throughout, right? Like TJ Brody in the fourth round. And even in the seventh round, uh, Jason Demers and and Matt Bartkowski, I don't know if you're going to see them in top four anytime soon, but those are guys with solid NHL credentials as well. So just all the way through this draft, there are defensemen
1: who have impact. I wrote, I wrote down all the defensemen in this draft that you look at and say, okay, these guys turned into pretty solid NHLers. So we we, we talked about the, the top five guys, you know, and, and, and so you've got Carlson, Dowdy, Petrangelo, Yossi, carlson but think of other guys who have had significant careers luke shen tyler myers jason damaris michael delzato jared spurgeon john carlson jake cardiner jake gardner marco scandela lucas spisa michael stone justin schultz zach bogosian travis hammenick tj brody all these guys coming from the same draft like to get that many career nhlers and and they all have had different impacts at the nhl level but to get that many career NHLers in one draft is bonkers and really haven't especially at one position, we haven't seen anything like that since Lou.
2: No, we haven't. It it's uh you go down the list, like you guys said, round one pick two right to the end of the draft. That's anytime you can play four hundred games in the league, you know, there's a lot of those guys in this particular draft they're not easy to find
1: no no they really aren't um i had uh and I, I have this going down. Kleiner is a pretty good uh, draft for goalies as well. Uh, Braden Holtby comes from this draft in the fourth round. Jake Allen, Jacob Markstrom, uh, both drafted in this year's draft. Uh, Anders Lindback, Michael Hutchinson, not at the same level, but also have had you know fairly long and and decent NHL careers. Mm-hmm. Not always great for goalies, but I found '08 to be a pretty solid year when it comes to to goaltending drafts.
0: Yeah, you have – like Jake Allen, uh, I think, kind of gets overlooked now for how good he was before because um, it, it hasn't aged gracefully the last couple of years for him. But uh, a solid starter for the St. Louis Blues for some pretty good teams. We already talked about Holtby, uh, franchise goalie, Stanley Cup winner um, – yeah, there's not a whole lot you can say. Jake Markstrom, I think it's taken a little bit longer than a lot of people thought it was going to for Markstrom, but he's turning into a franchise-level goalie who we'll see what that contract looks like whenever we get to an NHL off season. So, no, there are there are some pretty solid goalie Overall, like, forwards-wise, nothing to, to really to shake your fist at either. Gus Nyquist going in the fourth round, Matt Calvert in the fifth round, uh, Cam Atkinson in the sixth. Just overall, a solid, solid draft 2008.
2: Adam Henrique, eighty-two. Yep, I could I yep. could have made some real money that year if I had bet somebody because he would have been way up, way up on my board. Uh, by the way, and just quickly to return because it's what I do, back to defense. It didn't work out because he wasn't a very good citizen. But don't forget about Slava Voyanov in this grouping either. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A pretty bad big human, but part good hockey player. of two Stanley Cup titles in Los Angeles before, you know, his actions off the ice took yeah. care of things.
1: Yeah, it uh, it was a. Um, it was I think from if if o three was the best draft that that we've talked about over the last couple of decades, o eight would be right there for uh, the next best, and I, I do think there are a few that have done been done recently that that could end up in that same conversation but it's a little early to tell but boy did that 08 draft have a ton and and you know what lou this is an interesting one from a flame standpoint too because i thought it really yes
2: it sure was it,
1: it, was, it was a turning point for the organization in the way they drafted um because they started to get more out of their drafts uh, you you haven't been around for some of the redrafts we've done and taking a look at some of the flames drafts you're like holy cow like they, they didn't get anybody nobody nobody ended up playing in the nhl or one guy got you know six games or something like that their their first round pick didn't work out greg nemus was was not you know had they gone with uh, another windsor guy that you already mentioned they probably would have been better off um but when when you consider they got lance boma in round three and tj brody in round number four now there's there's two nhlers and specifically mm-hmm. brody there's a career impact nhler that you get in the fourth round and oh really started to change things for the organization in terms of how they started to turn not just first round picks but late round picks into solid nhlers and solid contributors
2: and it's just it's so important, and we've talked about it even the last few days. You know, whether it's Dustin Wolf, um, you know, I I think the young man out of Ramouski, Zav Grodny, there's another seventh rounder. You know, the sixth round success that they've had when you think about the breakout year that was Andrew Mongippontti. I mean, it's a it's an organization that, you know, when Brad Trelevin comes on and says that one thing that he really tried to, you know, make everybody accountable was that each and every pick mattered. Well, frankly, guys, the proof's been in the pudding over the last number of years.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, and and you can like we we all knew that the draft was pretty important, but I, I think it's good to go back and look at these. And it's something we talked about a little bit before with the Detroit Red Wings and how you keep a dynasty going is hitting on guys like, um, Datsuk and Zetterberg, and a little bit later on, guys like Advocator in the seventh round and, and stuff like that, and even in this one, talked about him before. Gus Nyquist in the fourth round. That that just kind of continues a run for a little bit longer. And, and you look at teams that don't necessarily have that success. There's a reason why the Flames had to go out and spend a lot of money in free agency every year and try to bring in the the Tony Amani's and the Owen Nolans and those guys to try to keep things going because there wasn't that um, that, that help coming from the draft. And uh, I look at a team that, um, I would suggest had a miss in the first round with the, the Vancouver Canucks. This was right in the middle of the time where they did not draft well at all. The, the 07 draft they got a combined total of none games uh, from that draft and then just going on right up until Bo Horvat in 2013 they had a rough go and you can see the the struggle they had for a little bit of staying relevant and just the importance of this draft and these drafts not just with the, the top five picks but on throughout you can really set your franchise up for as we're seeing with these about a decade if you can do well in these
2: you know what's interesting though I will never criticize the Canucks for the Hodgson pick right he would he would be a guy very near the top of my list that I would have said to you there's no chance I would have seen that coming even if you think about what happened at the 09 world junior he might have been Canada's best player in Ottawa He was that good. I know that, you know, Eberle and Tavares and there are a lot of really, really good players. Go back and watch that tournament from start to finish. You make a strong argument that he might have been Canada's best player in that event, but he just never found his way and, you know, injury and his commitment to the process I wouldn't I honestly that one is one of those ones for me that I just I would not have seen that coming
1: in terms of uh, in terms of bus when it's all when it's all said and done uh, the sixth overall selection that year was Nikita Filatov for Columbus. Only played 53 NHL games. That was that was a really weird time for drafting Rush, uh, Russian players, and it was a, a difficult time uh, to turn high Russian picks. I mean, yeah, Ovechkin and Malkin, absolutely. But a lot of times, you saw uh, in that kind of 02 to 02, 02009, 2010, a lot of high Russian picks just didn't end up panning out. Um, kyle beach went 11 to chicago didn't play la went with colton tubert at 13 he played 24 games uh chet pickard never worked out in that another tough first round goaltending pick for nashville that didn't work out so there's much like a lot greg namus with the flames only played 15 games there were definitely some ones that that didn't end up turning out but uh i i, I would suggest you got to give a pretty high grade 2008 overall lou that, that was a that was a really solid draft.
2: No, it was a terrific draft. And again, cornerstone franchise players. It's one thing to be a good first-round pick or a good pick. When you're talking about people that literally paved the way for better things in organizations, what kind of value do you put on those picks?
1: Yep. Best one we've done yet. In that you you weren't part of the O three one Klein, but best one you've done so far.
0: Yeah, uh, I, would, I would say so, yeah. I mean, you, you look at some of the, like, even just sorting by games played, like, it, he, he's not going to get much of the talk because of all the elite defensemen, but Zach Bogosian at three played 644 NHL games. At, like, Luke mm-hmm. Shenz at 758 and counting when we didn't bring up Lucas Pisa at 548 career NHL games. There are a lot of guys who, like Lou said at the top, uh, there are like franchise altering players, but there are also guys just solid NHLers from round one to round seven. So, yeah, I, I would say this is probably the best draft that I- I've been a part of with you guys so far.
1: All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, around the corner, we're going to hear from Ray Edwards. Good conversation we had with the Calgary Flames Assistant Coach and Director of Player Development from earlier in the show. That's coming your way around the corner. Uh, Lou, you are not here tomorrow. I am not here on Friday when you are back. So I just wanted to say it uh, has been a, a pleasure uh, having you on this weekend, right uh, of you, last week. Right back
2: i I've uh, I've had a ton of fun, and I would do anything right about now to skip the dentist and be back with you tomorrow. But, uh, apparently that's not going to happen. Although, you know, I've not been shy of ducking out of the dentist before, but no, I guess I have to go through with it. I, uh,
1: I, my thoughts and prayers. I wish you, uh, I wish you, well, God I don't think I need tomorrow.
2: prayers. I hope, but, uh, yeah, I just I know I how really... much you despise the dentist. Oh, no. So, no, I... oh, no, it's worse than fire. Uh, Peter, I'm just hoping that I'll be uh, okay enough to help participate in Friday's program.
0: <laughs> I hope so, too. I, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, I'm hoping that you'll be uh, you'll be there with us.
2: Okay, guys. Have uh, have an awesome rest of your Thursday. Or Wednesday. All right, Lou. Bye, guys. Wednesday.
1: Yes. yes. It Thank like you. It kind of feels like a Monday. With I'm all. Bye. So. Bye, Lou. <laughs> Up next, Ray Edwards, Calgary Flames assistant coach and director of player development. This is Pender and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960. The- catch up with our next guest not only is he the director of player development for the calgary flames he is also an assistant coach ray edwards joined us on the program a little earlier today whether it be about the team on the ice a return to play or a whole lot more lots from ray edwards assistant coach of the calgary flames and director of player development when he joined lubo and i earlier today from a work standpoint from a hockey standpoint how busy you've been keeping because you wear two hats with the organization now an assistant coach on jeff Ward's staff and you remain the director of player development with the team so uh I, we've talked to different coaches throughout this and and they've kept busy and and i know you guys are are you know being in contact on a fairly regular basis and you've got projects and stuff like that but you've also got the development role so how busy have you been from a work standpoint over the last couple of months
4: well we've been obviously doing a lot of zoom calls in different areas with different sides of the organization from a coaching standpoint. We're on weekly calls with uh, the coaching staff and Brad uh, in terms of updates and preparation as to what things might look like and our role and getting ready for you know any sort of uh, back return to play situation. You know, Jeff's been keeping us in the loop in terms of uh, what he wants. And so that's been fun. It's been good to get on those calls. And obviously we've had a few with the players as well, which has been good to see their faces. And so from that standpoint, it's it's definitely two or three times a week we're on those types of calls. And then from a development side, uh, for the most part, Brad Pascal, uh who's one of our assistant GMs, he's been sort of heading it up in, in lieu of me sort of doing doing the other he's been sort of taking the reins and obviously okay. Ronnie and Brian and some of the other guys have been taking lead on on development plans and making sure players know what their um their role is and what they need to be doing and you know our strength and conditioning staff has been in contact with all of them every one of them now has a plan moving forward which is obviously a lot different looking this year than it might have been last year but uh, we've been in touch with every player all the new guys that we've signed all have plans and uh Ronnie's done a good job of, of reaching out to those guys and you know it has to be a little bit different uh you know this year in terms of you know whether it's Zoom calls and video work over the over iPads and those types of things versus actually getting them, you know, into Calgary and, and uh you know everything's there's a lot of things still up in the air in terms of development mm-hmm. camp and you know training and some of the things that we like to do so it is a little bit different, but uh, I'm very blessed that uh, obviously Brad Pascal and the rest of the staff uh, have been able to take take the brunt of the work and and lead the way. And we're very confident that every player is going to have everything they need in terms of uh, continuing to get better. And the one thing we've stressed everybody is that uh, we can't use this as a crutch in terms of uh, giving them every avenue to succeed. We've got to find ways to to make sure they get the information. We have to find ways you know, new and, and fun ways to push them and to, and to uh, let them compete with each other uh, in different different ways. And RVA and his staff are really good at that type of stuff. They have an app that they use in terms of sending workouts and, um, you know, obviously our guys are in touch with them on a regular basis. So. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, obviously we'll get back to work and a little bit back to normal sooner than later. But in in lieu of that, we feel like we've got a pretty good plan for these guys to continue on with what they need to be doing.
1: Well, I know that from a coaching standpoint – um like you guys have been working on all kinds of different eventualities if if at this point if you were to get hit with news in the next week or something like that about what's going to happen and and any of the different roads that could go down how prepared will this group be for if when that happens
4: 100 percent prepared jeff's been unbelievable brad obviously keeps us in the loop like i said we have two or three calls a week just for that exact reason. So this is what the latest is. Uh, this is how we need to prepare for that. Uh, the players are aware of what's going on. So there's a million different contingency plans and we've done video enough video, you know, to be prepared for whatever situation might come our way. We've prepared for training camp type scenarios, uh, return to play scenarios. So, hey, J- Jeff's as good as it comes when it comes to detail and having guys prepared. and. We'll be ready to go
1: we're in conversation with ray edwards calgary flames assistant coach and director of player development this
2: afternoon mr labardius mr edwards I uh, hope you are how well. are you sir I, hope, I, I am excellent um and hope the chores and i know that for some of us who are away from our families for long lengths of time during the season that i'm sure you have enjoyed that part of it um when I've thought about you several times since this has all happened, I've wanted to ask you basically this question. You were you were part of an unbelievable change in the middle of the season, in a season that isn't even over, but one I think for those of us who are around on a day-to-day basis will never forget forever. And, and I just wonder what you've thought of in regards to, you know, Changing roles middle of the year, coming in, going back to you know coaching again, which you did you were you were coaching in the East Coast League, and you weren't even done playing, so you did that for twenty years before you got away, so maybe you of anybody i've been wondering you know what you've thought about when you've had some time to just reflect a little bit,
4: well, as you guys know, it was quite a whirlwind. Uh, when I came back into Calgary and, and you know, joined the staff. That that happened fast and I had to hit the ground running and the staff was unbelievable in terms of helping me get my feet on the ground and and um it it took some time but I felt like we you know we you know I got I got sort of acclimated and, and you know we got into a bit of a rhythm. So it again it's just the the weirdest thing. Like you're sitting there Thursday morning Ready to play New York? Uh, ready to have a power play meeting, and all the coaches are ready and prepared. And all of a sudden, it's just over. And so it it you know you come home and you're like you're you're just in it every day for four months, and then all of a sudden it's done. And so it's that part of it was tough. Like you if you you're sitting in hope and hoping you're home, and you find yourself wondering like what the heck am I going to do with my time? And and now as we start to get a little bit of hope that that things are going to get back going it really gets you excited i mean i don't know what i'll do next year guys in terms of coaching or development or what it is whatever whatever may come my way but i do want to finish this thing and do the best we can and if i never coach uh you know another game i want to give everything we i have to help this team go as far as we can so i'm very motivated to get back and do whatever
2: i have to do to Help this team have success Ray how much did you enjoy the few months that you were back coaching again and you know we've had a few talks that even though you've done it the majority of your life that doing it this way at this level it was different wasn't it
4: it sure was I mean I was a head coach for a lot of my time coaching so it's a way different role um And, you know, specifically, you know, being in charge of the power play, you really micromanage that area. So you're really digging into that area and you're spending a lot of time doing that. And so preparing for the next game, the biggest thing for me, Lou, was just you're always you always have to be ready for the next game. So, you know, you do a power play meeting for your game that night and then you're already working on the next game or pre-scouting two games ahead so you, you just have to be always ahead of it. And that was the one thing that you know, I, I, I noticed was a, a lot different than the American League, where a lot of times in the American League, you have three, four days to prepare you know, for your weekend. Sometimes you have more. And so you, you, the timing is uh, you have way more time to prepare and, and practice and um, get on the ice and work on specific things. That, that's the other thing that I really found interesting was the lack of practice time. And you really have to be efficient uh, with your ice time, and you know when you're when you're able to work on stuff, you've you've got to make sure that uh, you look at the schedule and you you manage it correctly. And that's where, you know, I you know the strength and conditioning group, the sports science group with Kent and RVA and their staffs, they do a great job of preparing us in terms of okay, on this day you have this much time, and this is what they need. And, and so it's uh, you know it was just really detailed, and uh, I really enjoyed it. it it's uh, it's a great group. That whole group in that in that room is fun to work with. They they obviously uh, when I when I had to come in there, I knew a lot of them, and and uh, I've worked with a lot of them for four or five years through the development arm. But they were great, and uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Now I just hope we can kind of finish finish what we started.
2: Right, I know you take so much pride and it had to be a massive change to go from all those years of coaching and like you talked about to now be knee deep into player development and I can't imagine how proud you and Ron Sutter and the organization must be because I don't think people realize I always liken it this way as important as it is in this day and age to draft good people I think Developing them is right there, if not even higher. And when you think about, you know, Dustin Wolf and all the players that you have seen start at development camps and then now play in the NHL in a regular way or playing games, you must you must feel very proud about what you've seen during your time in that role as well.
4: Well, for sure, Lou. I mean, we're we're obviously proud of all the guys that have. Uh, come through and found their way to play, whether it's in the American League or uh, in the NHL. Uh, I think um, our staff uh, from day one is, you know, Ronnie's been with with me from day one and it's done an amazing job. We've added so many different layers to the development team and with Brian and now Darren, the skills department and Don Braid. And I mean, our strength and conditioning group, our American League coaches have a big role in that and they should get a ton of credit. Um, you know they have to go through there for the most part uh, before they they play in Calgary. So, you know whether that that was Orion and his group, but he was there, or now Kale and his staff. I mean they've done an excellent job, but it is rewarding to see it. I mean it's rewarding too when when uh, you know we have development camps and we've had a couple of players now. The you know uh, Mackie and and uh, Johannes uh, Kinval. Uh, came to development camps and had such great experiences at those camps that somewhere down the road we were able to continue uh, the relationship and our Our scouts have done such a good job of continuing that relationship and watching and you know now we 've got two of those guys signed, and a big part of that was coming to development camp and meeting everybody and going through that process so uh, it takes a, it takes the village to do this this job there 's a lot of people that have a hand in it so but it is important, as you said, Lou, it's uh, the way things are, are going with the NHL. You have, to, you have to draft and you have to develop, and it's certainly not perfect, but uh, I think we can continue to get better in a lot of other areas, and we'll continue to look at those areas and try to improve every day. Um, but uh, we certainly are proud of the guys
2: that have come through the system right as a longtime hockey person and we've talked about your long history both as a player and as a coach and player development how different is it today in 2020 dealing with the athlete than maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago or is there much of a difference for you
4: no there certainly is it's uh the communication piece i think is the biggest part it's you know, when i played you mean, know, i hardly talked to my coaches i mean and the only time you talk to your coach usually was when you're in trouble or you're getting sat out or you're you know losing time or whatever it was now the communication is daily and it took it, it it was when i first got into the player development i mean coaching you're there every day so you see them and you you're able to get that one-on-one interaction but in player development you're not always there so you have to do a lot of stuff via text deal phone calls you know uh, skype those types of things and i really found with the player development that texting was the preferable way to communicate which for me wasn't i had to kind of get used to that and i i found it hard to do that initially you know to have meaningful conversations through text i just never really had done that six years ago five years ago so i had to kind of get used to that and realize that players just like to communicate that way now so that was uh, that was kind of a big thing for me. Just learning to do that and and just be able to communicate more. You know, uh, you know when you're not close to them and you can't, you know, see them and touch them, you gotta you gotta find other ways to do it. And the other part of that piece is just the, the actual, you know, being able to send drills and and you know get them to watch their shifts and be able to communicate what's going on and what needs to be worked on, what needs to be addressed. But do that from afar versus being there every day, and being able to uh, work with them personally every day. So that was a that was a, a fairly big adjustment. But again, when you have good people, and you have people that want to work and want to put the time in. They and they want to get better and they want to be innovative. Uh, it makes it a lot easier, and that's that's a big piece of what we do. And I think that's every every NHL team is is finding that you've you've got to be ahead of it. You got to be. Are willing to do those things and go the extra mile to uh, get the best out of your prospects.
2: Mr. Steinberg?
1: We're in conversation with Calgary Flames assistant coach Ray Edwards, also the team's director of player development. It's it's funny, Ray, because we we had um, we had some interesting conversations with you on our post game show when you'd come in and join us in our okay. uh, in our hot stove lounge. Studio. I got all the we,
4: bad games. I I got the the, the thrashing by Edmonton, and there's I got back to back interviews, and they both were <laughs> thrashings at home. Was, I, I, I hope. I... <laughs>
2: I hope there's some longer straws in Maine that you can bring back because you drew a lot of short ones, my friend.
4: Oh boy! Wow, well, and but good really on the guys, you. The guys are just. Well, I think that's the. I was the rookie on the group, right? So I was the. Uh, I was low man on the totem pole, so I got those ones
1: you uh you did a good job there were there were times when you you, you could tell by looking at you that you would rather do anything but answer the question that (laughs) was just asked to you but
4: you still answered i remember i remember the one night the one night we got pounded and the power play was absolutely awful (laughs) I was just dreading going back there, but you guys were good. You didn't kill me too bad, and thank God we didn't have uh, any Collins because I would have got murdered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we wouldn't. We promise we would never do that to you. I promise. <laughs> on the on on the bright side, though, like, and I know we don't know what's going to happen and how or when the NHL is is going to come back, but on the bright side your team was really starting to trend in the right direction prior to the pause. Uh, The last game that you played was a loss to Vegas, uh, which was a really hard fought and close game. But prior to that, you were on a nice little run there. How did you like the way the team was playing before things shut down for a little bit?
4: Well, as you guys know, uh, you're correct. I thought, I thought uh, we were really trending in the right way. Uh, You know, we had, we had gone on that, that massive road trip where we you know we we had a heck of a road trip uh, beating you know Boston in Boston playing Tampa really closely the heck of a game in Nashville we lost in the last second but but uh, it was again a playoff type atmosphere big big win to finish the road trip in Florida where it was really a you know, one of those games where you you got to come out of there and, and find a way to win that game, and we did. Came back and didn't play great against Columbus, but found a way to won, win that game. Again, get another playoff type game against Vegas. So we we felt like, even though the game, some of the games that we didn't win, we were playing the right way and playing the way we we thought that we had to you know, to to play to to have success. And we felt like if we can continue to play that way we're going to, you know, win more games and get more points than not. So, and I know from our standpoint in the power play, we were really clicking. I think we were in the last 10 games we we're running about 40%. Um, so that, that was nice. And as you guys know, when the power play is clicking and the guys have confidence there, it, it, it drives your five on five offense as well. So we were feeling good. No question. It was tough to tough to break at that time, but, You know, we'll have time to get prepared again and get the group feeling good and have plenty of opportunity to to work on things and get us us back up to speed.
1: Well, Lou asked you about being part of uh, a real unprecedented coaching change early in the season. And that's only one of a, a few crazy things that have happened this season. No. You throw in a, a worldwide pandemic and a shutdown of a Ugh. season. You had a big-time scare with a player. Uh, like, it's it's been you, – you've had just on the ice some crazy ups and some crazy downs. Like it is it, it has been a year chock full of adversity and twists and turns for your group. Is that – Do you get the sense that coaching staff, players, everybody involved, do you get the sense that that's something that they can take and, and build on and use to be better going forward here?
4: Well, I think our group is a close group. And I know uh, we've heard that about this team before, but certainly going through everything that they've gone through this year and, and uh, you know, the way Jeff has rallied and, and, and brought this group together and, and, The mindset that they've had in terms of okay you know we can we can sort of deal with anything now Um, that's that's the way they've 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 sort of rolled forward and I think I think we know that our team is capable of really good things it's just a matter of when we'll be able to get the group back together and get working on it again but you know just having our zoom calls with them they're you know, they the first and foremost uh, in everybody's mind is safety and health of everybody. And, but as long as, as we can, we're guaranteed that, you know, we can do that and we can do it the right way. Everyone's really excited about the opportunity to, to do this and get back and, and sort of finish what we started.
1: That's uh, that's, I'm, I'm, you know, you talk about the excitement of potentially coming back and, and all the things that are going on right now, but what about what about from a personal standpoint? You know, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but are you personally prepared for whatever the the differences might be, the things that might not be ideal or that you're used to that would go along with a return to play this season? Is that something that that you've been able to you know come to grips with and get your head around stuff like that?
4: Yeah, again, I think I think just we've been prepared. Uh, again, Brad and and our staff, whether it's Kent and his group or Dr. Ald or our equipment or our um, strength and conditioning group. I mean, we've we've sort of gone through every scenario, what what it may look like, what things we're going to have to do that's different, and 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 I think you know that's the one thing we have time right now to do that stuff. So I think we'll we'll all be prepared personally. Whatever whatever we have to do, we got to do, and that's just my mindset. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of how I've always been. Like if something needs to be done, has to be done, we'll do it, and we'll and we'll find a way. So, um, I'm ex- you know, I, I'm a little different cause I was brought in later and it wasn't really my role, but now that I'm in it, I'm more motivated than, than, uh, than not to finish sort of this job. You know, we went in there and, you know, was, uh, was away from my family for a while. And so it's, it's, it's exciting to me to sort of get in there and finish this thing and then see see where we go from there.
1: Well, Ray, we really appreciate the time this afternoon, and we sure do hope that we see you back on the ice and see the guys back on the ice sooner rather than later. It's it's been a long time. It's been a bizarre two months, uh, but it, it's it's good to hear that there sounds like there's some momentum coming for uh, maybe a restart. Appreciate the time this afternoon. It's uh, it's good to catch up with you,
2: Ray. Guys, real good talking to you. Hope to see you soon. Be well.